0: Welcome to the Blazers Edge podcast. I'm Tara and today Joe is in Arizona watching baseball, but I am not alone. I am so happy to be joined by friendly neighborhood sports writer, Dane Carbaugh. Dane is an NBA writer for NBC Sports. You can also find his work on his YouTube channel, Dane Not Dan. And these videos, a lot of these videos also appear on BlazersEdge.com. And if you ask me, he's also really fun to follow on Twitter, if you are into that kind of thing. Welcome to the show, Dane.
1: Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Yeah, thanks for having me on. Thanks for the kind words.
0: Now, Dane, you're a native Oregonian, and here on the uh, fanalist edition of the Blazer's Edge podcast, we like to get to know our guests uh, before we delve into the analysis. So let me ask you, as a native Oregonian, did you grow up a Blazer fan?
1: uh but not it depends what you mean by grow up you know I think when I was a when I was a little kid like grade school I wasn't actually a blazer fan so I don't really have a big connection I've read about this before but I don't really have a big connection to you know the Drexler era blazers or anything so my my era was really uh was right you know pre-jailblazers really just um you know those the early 2000s or you know right mm-hmm. at the turn of the century Teams, those are those the Scottie Pippen, Rashid Wallace teams before, before Quintel Woods started uh, beating dogs and stuff, you know. So that was really my uh, my introduction to the Blazers. So it took me a little while.
0: Sure, sure. Now, as a journalist, were you uh, you know a journalist who found your niche in sports writing, or were you a longtime sports fan who wanted to learn how to write more about it and become a journalist in that field?
1: Oh man, that's a good question. Now, I didn't specialize in in. Um, in sports at all. In fact, I didn't. I didn't even go to school for journalism. I just ended up sort of in this field by accident, and uh, I certainly did force my way into sports. That's for sure. I definitely spent. Uh, I could admit now. I spent some time, as most of us do. Most of us sports writers do came came from this route. Is uh, spent some time at the job that I was at, doing the job that I wasn't supposed to be doing, which is sports writing, uh, sort of on on the clock at times. Uh-huh. So uh, in order to uh, none you know, of us can relate to that. <laughs> yeah, none of us relate to that. That's never happened before. So, but sure, you know, that's I definitely sort of forced my way in. The, the first thing I really ever covered as a sports journalist was a uh, Sabonis retirement ceremony up in Pioneer Square. Oh wow! So, um, you know, so it's it hasn't really been too long of a time, and but that's certainly something that I you know kind of wedged my way into, and I don't know, sometime later here I am.
0: I want to hear more about the uh, Sabonis so retirement. At, was it was at Pioneer Square.
1: Yeah, it was cool. It was uh, it was his or it was it was his Hall of Fame thing. That's what it was. It was his Hall of Fame thing. I'm sorry. Yeah. Okay. So that's 20, 2011 or twenty twelve. One of those two two years. Um, but it was cool. Yeah, it was you know everybody was there. Brian Grant was there. Chris Dudley was there. It was a big thing. I uh I interviewed the Mikes, of course, and um, I took a bunch of photos and that that ended up appearing at uh, Dime Magazine. Oh, cool. It was fun.
0: Well, that's awesome. Well, b- bring us back to the present. We'll talk a little bit about the Blazers because, after all, we are BlazersEdge.com. And I know that you probably watch tons of games all over the league, so it's probably hard for you to concentrate on any one team at a time. Is that is that pretty much a fair assessment?
1: I don't know. I think I concentrate the hardest on the Blazers just because um, I watch them the most in the off time. But... Um. Obviously, yeah. When the Blazers aren't playing, pretty much basketball is constantly on. So, I think I I'd, I I'd, I'd consider myself. Um, I don't know. I don't know. I don't. I have a weird. I have a weird space that I haven't really thought it through. It's like I don't consider myself obviously a, a beat person for the Blazers or anything. but I think a lot of a lot of folks around the league like like Sean Heiken is you know he watches the Bulls you know that's the he is a beat reporter for the Bulls but he also watches so much NBA it's hard to call him just a Bulls person i kind of say i'm like that with the Blazers is, and obviously i have a a full time league wide job so
0: mm-hmm. i don't know mm-hmm. Well, I've found so much of um, your uh, work that you do, especially on the videos that are about the Trailblazers, really useful for me for understanding like what's going on, <laughs> and okay. also um, you know the other the, everything about the other teams. I also find um, really helpful. But to get back to the Blazers, um, pretty much since the All Star break, there's been one main topic on everybody's mind, and that is the emergence of Yusuf Nurkic and what he means to this team just to um, maybe kind of concentrate on the most recent games just to bring us all back up to speed is that uh, a couple games ago the Trailblazers played the Milwaukee Bucks they lost that game 93 to 90 I have to tell you that was a kind of a painful game to watch for me. I don't know what they um, ate right before the game because their fingers were dropping everything. They were definitely not coming off their peanut butter and jelly sandwiches because they did not have sticky fingers. They were, like, dropping the ball everywhere. They, uh, Damian Lillard did his best to make a game of it at the end after all those turnovers in the first half, but the Blazers ultimately lost to the Bucks, 93-90. to And then we had the win over the Knicks, 110-95, which again I'm never comfortable in those games where we hold a lead I was like if we get up by 40 I'll be feeling okay <laughs> but I just you just never know with this team what is going to happen and it doesn't matter what team they're playing
1: yeah especially this year
0: <laughs> I know well it feels like to me for the last several years even i mean there was there was a time where i I became a trailblazer fan during the terry porter and uh clyde drexler days and there was a time where you know there could be 10 minutes left in the game and the team would be down by 20 and be like oh that's no problem plenty of time we can come back (laughs) doesn't feel quite that way these days and sometimes when you have a 10 point lead it doesn't feel comfortable nearly enough but, but anyway, um, since, since the All-Star break, uh, Nurkic has been the, the big story. So, um, you know, my question is, let's talk about Nurkic in a minute. But aside from Nurkic, is there anything that's really stood out to you about the Blazers' uh, play in general since the All-Star break?
1: I mean, it's it's hard to compartmentalize those things, I think, from Nurkic, just because it's not just about, you know, as we saw the Blazers who had a, you know, a valuable play. Team center in Robin Lopez before. It's not just about the statistics that he's compiling himself. It's about the actions that he's taking on the floor. It's about the space that he's occupying. It's about the uh, big men that he's um, you know, distracting, essentially, or uh, locking up with in order for somebody else to get a, a rebound. It's about a lot of the other things that he does um, as part of the five man unit. So I don't know if I can completely compartmentalize it. I certainly think that uh, Damien has looked uh, more confident. I think we talked about it a little bit earlier. I know uh, Holdall mentioned it. Um, I think it was pretty apparent that it looked like he's just having a hard time coming off of that foot 100%. Um, Damien really started, I think, to um, force it this year. And I, I noted this on Twitter, but the thing that I was kind of interesting was he got rid of the whole. If you remember about two years ago, he two years ago was probably his peak of it. But he would try to pack it all the time, and he'd have a, he'd have a bunch of missed dunks where it's like mm-hmm. you know, he's trying to give, give yourself a you know, an exclamation point and you know use some motion to to get the game going a little bit. He stopped trying to do that. Now he's been a lot craftier around the basket this year, a lot more up and under layups, a lot more. You know, he's he's holding the ball for another dribble essentially underneath the basket, which is great. Um, but he also has started to force it more. So his his forcing has moved from dunks into these weird sort of fallaway shots. That, Three feet where he thinks he's going to get a foul, and he's he's just not doing enough to get him. So um, that's sort of really, and I think also he's had some explosivity issues. So uh, I, I don't know. I feel like damien looks a little better. Jason Quick's article on CSN and W was um, talked about, although it wasn't there wasn't any clarity in terms of like right. what it was that damien did to get right. So it's like I, you know, uh, okay, it could, could have just been a, a tweet, I suppose, and the, the full story didn't really add anything to it, but.
0: I know they they talked about it like on Sunday night, and he was like, "It's coming out on Monday." And I was like, so excited on Monday, I was waiting for the article. Mm-hmm. Like, what what's what was wrong with Dame? And it was like, right. oh, there was something wrong, but we're not going to talk about it. And he's fine. Yeah, <laughs> like, oh, <laughs>
1: well, yeah, sort of, sort of weird story, but uh, I mean, he did something, maybe. I, I sure. don't know, maybe maybe he set himself right. We just don't know what it is. So um, I would say Damian looks a lot better. That would be my my opinion of it. I think um, you know the rest of the guys are still sort of playing how the rest of the guys have played the rest of the season uh aminu is back into his um form of being a good defender but he can't dribble or shoot the basketball um basically at all uh you know i think that uh i I wonder if people are i've 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 wondered a little bit but i wonder if people are um maybe a little disappointed in mo just because he's been a useful three-point shooter and a useful part of the starting lineup for uh, long stretches of the season but maybe there was this weird expe- expectation of, I, I certainly didn't expect it, but an expectation of another jump after uh, last season. Sure. Um, so, I, you know, if again, if, if, if he was 8% better sort of across the board in what he does best, like, that would make a huge difference for this team. So, um, and, you know, it's certainly, the guy is super young, and obviously I, I think that he will make that uh, expansion um, in seasons to come. But, so I think you know i think damien has been a little bit better outside of nurkic. Now add nurkic in the mix and you have a whole different story.
0: Right. Yeah, and what's uh let's let's move into that. Your video talked about some of the things that nurkic is doing. He's creating gravity which is pulling people towards him which is clearing out more space for other players to do more. He's making his jump shot with regularity. He's passing more than we expected that he would be doing. My biggest question about this is: Is it sustainable? Is it his? Is the play that you're seeing? Is this all stuff that you think that he could continue to do, or is it a result of he came here and he's like trying, trying to show us everything all at once?
1: Right. Yeah. The way I put it was: uh, Is this a uh, my? My wonder if this is a first date situation mm-hmm. where you're a little bit different from the person that you are because you're trying to impress the other person mm-hmm. that first date. I. That's from a talent perspective. Yeah, I think it's probably sustainable if not expandable but the real question is whether the attitude stays the same i think Mm -hmm. you know his ending attitude in denver was indicative of something that had been going on for him you know sort of the whole time he was there people around the league have told me that um i don't think it's any kind of secret or anything that uh you know when he gets down he can be down i mean he he asked to be put on the bench um so he didn't have to play with uh, Jokic and like, you know, he, he had a bad attitude. So if this team experiences uh, a dip, and the way that that's possible is I, I hate to say it, but the way that's possible is if Damien or CJ gets hurt for a extended period of time ne- next season, right? Knock on wood. Knock on wood. Um, but if that happens, this team will probably take, you know, they won't take the step out of this season. They'll stay where they're at or maybe be a little bit worse. And so is is he still going to be the guy that everyone wants him to be that he's he's been so far or is he going to be a little mopey when they lose six games in a row you know i i don't know right. so that's that is a real question i think um there's enough evidence for his career and and um you know from folks in denver just says yeah, that's entirely possible so i think from a talent perspective yes it's it's definitely possible he keeps us up and like I mean, would be another great steal for uh, O'Shea if that's if that's what happens. But um, for sure, I think there's there's cause for some concern for Blazers fans.
0: So if you want to speak specific for people who maybe haven't seen your video yet. Um, could you want to speak specifically about some of the things that you are seeing that he is um, that he is doing right that he brings to this team that the team didn't have before.
1: Yeah, I think he's uh, he's a better screener than Mason Plumlee. First of all, even though Mason Plumlee was a very good screener, mm-hmm. but Part of that is also gravity because when he screens, teams still have to stunt over to him or recover back to him in time because he can't shoot to wherever he, if he fades, you know, he can't shoot from wherever he fades to.
0: So when you say that you think he's a, a a better screener than Mason Plumlee was, do you think it was it's his uh, his timing that's better? Is it his actual body position that you think um, is an improvement, or just like his sheer size? What are some of the things that make his screens more effective than than any you know just than your average screener?
1: I think well, I think the difference between him and Mason was is actually just what I was about to get to is the is the gravity portion of it. I think they both have excellent timing. I mean, Mason played with Damien for so long; they had such a good relationship on that pick and roll that um, you know he made it happen. Mason is a obviously a big body and just had a set of screen, best screen setter on, on the team until until he left. So, um, but so we're just we're, we're sort of splitting hairs a little bit. Um, there's not a huge difference, but it's more useful, I think, for the Blazers because Nurkic can uh, fade, and when he fades, the defense has to take even if it's, under, if it's a half step if it's a half step back towards him out mm-hmm. towards the elbow versus following Damien on the drive it, i mean that that's what that's what makes a difference in the nba i mean if you if you've ever it's a game
0: of inches a lot of times it is
1: a game of inches i mean really if you've ever gone down to an nba basketball court and stood on it and then stood next to a Real basketball player, it's like there's almost no space to pass the ball. It it feels crazy as like a normal sized human being. It's like oh, this is impossible. How this is, you know, the 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 scale is really wacky. So we are talking about you know just shaving off little, little, little shavings here. So I think that's 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 an important difference. Mostly what the video talked about was that he is a shooter, and that is important for the Blazers' offense. Mostly because, and I think that's been uh, not again not too. Um, sort of make Aminu, you know, sort of call him out a little bit. But because Aminu can't shoot the basketball at all this year, that makes it so that both of the posts for the Blazers couldn't shoot the ball, and that really just made it a lot easier for defenses to key off of Damian and CJ. Mm -hmm. So because that rotation, like last year they were hoping that Aminu would make or miss that three-point shot, and so teams blitz Damian and CJ – Teams haven't had to do that at all this season. And that was really what shut the Blazers down last season was teams blitzing Damian and CJ with their big man off the big and roll. But that's because the, the initial part of a blitz, which is where two players, big man and the guard man, come up off of the screen and they just go after the dribbler uh-huh. and leave the, leave the big man alone. In that case, it would be Plumlee. They don't, they, they don't need, they can leave Plumlee open. They can't leave Nurkic open basically at all now because they uh-huh. don't want to risk that shot. And because he's a good passer from that position, off of the screen, and, screen and fade. Then you leave yourself open to possibly an easy bucket if you then slide over and try to help. So I think that's an important part of what he's bringing. It's his ability to shoot and the things that can cascade down off of that. So yes, screening is good. Um, yes, obviously he's a he's a good rebounder. He's a big body. He has a really good he's a really good timing on his blocks. Um, and he you know he has had some upticks in what he's been doing like he is passing he or sorry he's he's assisting more frequently for the blazers um uh, and he's um obviously boosts his assists totals that's something that we saw Mason Plumlee do it's it's i think the conversation's been really funny around uh, e- uh locally but but also nationally it's funny to see people say uh, oh you know Nurkic well he's not quite the same passer that uh, plumlee is and mm-hmm. blah 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 but it's like plumlee was not was a, like not thought of as a passer when he came to portland like he was a guy who like got layups for the Nets. You know, it's like I he like he tripled his assist rate from the time he came to the Blazers to the time he left. So it's like he wasn't some stellar, you know, high post passer. And I think Nurkic is going to be afforded a lot of the same opportunities. Mm-hmm. He has the same players around him that uh, Plumley did. He has the same system that Plumley did. He has the same coach that Plumley did. Who's going to utilize him I think, in similar ways? You've already seen from that high post passing position. So I think that Nurkic has. Um, potentially, an ability to expand upon uh, you know his passing. So I think all those things put together, the passing, uh, the block shots, the occupying space, the ability on the on the screen and roll to take up uh, gravity, and also the uh, the ability that he can go down low as a you know single post up player and draw gravity that way. all those, all those things change. You, none of those things are just for him. All those things change how the rest of the team interacts with them and of course how the defense interacts with them
0: Mm -hmm. I want to talk about a a couple of things to to piggyback off of that so I want to put a pin in the fact remind me that I'm going to ask you about Vonley but before we go to Vonley I want to ask you there's a couple things that uh, Nurkic does that make me kind of nervous and I'm not sure if they're things that I'm just not used to because I haven't seen from a center in a before or in a really long time Um, So I'm wondering what you think about these things. One thing that I noticed Nurkic is doing a lot more than we've seen in a long time is that he's palming the ball and holding it way out there and swinging it all around, and like that's definitely a style that he has that we did not I don't think see before with Plumlee, Um, and that makes me super nervous because he's got the ball like just hanging out there. But (laughs) you know, but people say you know don't worry about that. His hands are big enough to do that. You know, talk about that play. Talk me down off the. This this makes me really nervous, and every time he does it, I'm like ah. And but people tell me I shouldn't worry. So talk me down off of this one.
1: Oh no, I, I wouldn't worry about that. His, you know, it really his where he comes up uh, with issues in terms of passing the ball, holding the ball. Um, Is really a his. I don't call it sloppiness. It's more, it's more recklessness than anything else. His, uh-huh. he thinks he can put it into certain spaces that don't really work. He thinks that he can move faster than he can. He sort of, he, he sees the play a little bit, I think, and then accelerates it in his brain and then makes the pass before it's really ready to be made. But I think it's, so it's like, those are sort of some of the things that he comes up in um, maybe does look a little bit like we talked about being, oh, that's like a, he's being a little bit of a, a first date type of dude, you know? It's like, oh, watch this pass. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know, I don't I don't think that, uh, but I don't think his holding the ball out like that is any dangerous. I haven't seen a lot of, I mean, he hasn't had a lot of, turnovers over guys tipping the ball out of his hands if that was the case it'd be like okay stop holding with one hand
0: his turnovers are more of a result of his passing it into somebody <laughs> is that what uh, yeah
1: I, I would say that or or sometimes wacky post moose
0: uh-huh oh yeah sometimes like he's dribbling the ball and then suddenly he's just not dribbling it anymore
1: <laughs> yeah <and laughs> i've seen sort of, that happen. Yeah, weird weird flips and, and pivots that are unnecessary or yeah
0: yeah, I, I, I call it sometimes a casual play where it's like, I'm yeah. going to make this pass, but I have maybe haven't quite thought it all the way through. And I see him making passes into really tight 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 spaces and sometimes those get those get knocked out and i don't know if that's um you know a a factor of that he used to have more space when he was in denver because you know there were there were other big men that were allowing more space for making those tiny passes or if that's just something else i'm gonna have to learn how to live with and just like you know evan turner does it too sometimes they thread it through these tiny tiny little areas where you're just like oh that's not gonna go okay it did this time is that something i need to worry about
1: I don't know with Nurkic. I feel like it's not. It, there's so much benefit that comes out of it, mm-hmm. and his the angles are. <laughs> he puts them in a position where it's it's also a little more structured. Those passes from where he is, because a lot of time those passes for him versus instead of Evan Turner, uh, are you know he's at the high post. He's playing an angle, and that. If you drew up a play that way or as an option, one of the options on a set like that, you wouldn't be that surprised. I suppose Evan Turner does a lot of times in transition or in secondary transition where it's like, what are you doing? You could just wait. Like, yeah, that guy was maybe open backdoor, but also you have 20 seconds left in the shot clock. Yeah, so Evan back.
0: Turner's more freestyling and um... – Yeah. Uh, And Nurkic is is doing a is doing a play and it happens to be that people are closing in real tight and he only has a split second to make it. But it's not something that he's just trying to, like, make up on the spot. He's.
1: Yeah, I think Nurkic's look more crisp to me. Mm -hmm. That's that's Mm -hmm. how I'd put it, too.
0: Well, one of the things that I've really enjoyed watching is Nurkic and Vonley together. Um, I, I've i always in, uh, liked Vonley because of his in- incredible physique, which I just think is just, it's, he's so ready for the NBA in terms of the way he's built and i didn't really have a problem with him starting last year cuz i understood what was going on you know give him a chance to play against the best players to make him you know good as fast as you can i mean that that made sense to me but i see since the all star break with nurkic i i think i'm seeing real progress the um at first, when they played together, I felt like they were kind of like on top of each other all the time and like sort of mm-hmm. trying to occupy the same space, which is something I felt happened a lot last year when Noah Vonley would play with like Ed Davis and they'd both show up in the same place to try to do the same thing. But I, to me, it looks like that is starting to resolve itself and that uh, Vonley and Nurkic are really playing together and playing off of each other. Is that something that, uh, that you see as well?
1: Yeah. And it, it happens in layers. And it's such an interesting. Uh, this has been talked about a little bit. I think it's such an interesting part of the NBA and a good way to think about analysis of team construction, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Because you know, Mason Plumlee, I think, him and he and Vonley did occupy a lot of the same space. Or, because of the way Terry Stocks' offense worked, Von, Vonley had to be, um, if Plumlee was in, Vonley had to be out. And Vonley often didn't look comfortable playing in those situations. Mm-hmm. So they do operate better together. Now. Uh, he's had some very good games. Now the flip side of that. Is that. Um, if you would watch Vonlay. Say just for a. Let's say a, a eight seconds of a possession.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Certain possessions. Whether he has the ball or not. Or whether he's defending or not. Uh, or uh, defending the ball or not. I should say. I wouldn't say that. That's sort of been I uh, hmm, I don't want to say a disappointment, but it's certainly been something to note, is that there hasn't been this huge leap as you would have expected, especially after all that playing time and uh, the playing time he's getting this, this season, that there wasn't a huge jump for a certain, you know, if you just look at, say, how hmm, stilted some of his post moves are okay, or, or how predictable some of them are, you know, like NBA veterans are like, yeah, you're going to go double fake back shoulder. You're going to go back to the hook. And it's like, uh, I can see that. I can see that from a mile away Mm -hmm. as a, as a writer, much Mm -hmm. less the guy who's a 10 year NBA veteran guarding him. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I think that there are still some issues to be worked out with Vonley. I'm Mm -hmm. not sure that I see him individually as a player, uh, developing so much. What I see more is that, Nurkic is affording him more opportunities to be able to play both in spacing on offense and um so not only his passing down to him the interactivity between them but also because guys cannot if you think about it because so and related to finally sort of let's, let's talk about his, his own you know his predictable post game mm-hmm. is if you have a guy like Nurkic on the uh right elbow and you have Vonle on the left block and Vonley has the ball and and then there's twelve seconds left in the shot clock. Vonleigh starts dribbling the basketball mm-hmm. and you are Mason Plumley's defender. You've one, you know that Vonley probably isn't giving the ball up with twelve seconds left. He mm-hmm. thinks he has to get a shot up now because you're off with the, the shot clock. And he also you know, he he's like trying to get better at that, so he's just gonna go through his sort of again, like he sort of has these repeatable, predictable steps of his post game. Okay. So if you're Mason Plumley's defender, there's no chance that Mason Plumley hurts you on this play. He's not gonna cut to the basketball or to to the to the hoop. You know, Vomley wouldn't alley you to him or anything. And if you pass it out to him, he's not gonna shoot the ball because then there'd be four seconds left in the shot clock and he can't shoot from anywhere
0: mm-hmm. so, so now you have but now you have Nurkic in there and you have to pay attention to him
1: right and so but that's the thing is that you have an extra half step or full step or let's say you have an extra half dribble or full dribble of of Vonley's post-up with which to work because you can't because if if help comes earlier off of Mason Plumlee's defender I think if uh if Noah Vonley is backing down the basketball so i think that that's a little bit of a, of of a just a, a nugget of the interactivity between them and how that changes their game together so i think that they ha- they are better at playing better together Vonley is um playing well and you know Vonley is a uh, tenacious defender he's a huge human being if you haven't stood yes. next to to Vonley, he like even for i would i would think that and i've heard this from many other writers um who have been around nba players right uh like noah vonley is somehow still remarkable in that aspect and it's and you are correct in that he's built for the nba and that he has huge legs which is super important for his position and also makes him feel gigantic right so um noah vonley definitely is uh built for the nba and he is a You know, he wants to rebound hard, which is perfect because Nurkic is good at boxing out for other people Mm -hmm. or occupying space. I think that Mason Plumlee was um, certainly tried at that very hard. And I think that he was a smart rebounder and a smart team team rebounder. But I think that Nurkic is better at it. I think he's better at occupying guys space because nobody can move Nurkic out of the way. Nobody. So. It's impossible to get past him in any way. You can't make, again, if we're talking about a game of inches, it's impossible. Even if you move the guy eight inches off or six inches off of his base, like you could with Mason Plumley sometimes, um, that changes how the team rebounding possession happens. You can't do that. Then it's a little bit easier for guys like Vonley. You have Harkless crashing hard, uh, Menu crashing hard you know it's hard it's it's easier for the Blazers to get those those rebounds so i think vonley has looked a little bit better in that respect or for to get you know secondary offensive possessions vonley putbacks that kind of stuff so
0: you are thinking for the most part vonley is looking better you're not you're not seeing necessarily that he's getting a ton better but he is looking better and he's uh, and he is um taking advantage not in a bad way but he is taking advantage of the opportunities that are afforded to him because of the presence of Nurkic now um so yeah. maybe we're not seeing giant strides but we're seeing him doing what he should be doing i guess my question would be like what's the next step for him like that you would like to see by by like by the end of the year from him if if you know this really if he really is going to show us some improvement like what would that look like by the end of the year do you think we only have a few games left but
1: well, and I, I want to clarify. It's not. It's that's not, not a negative on Vonley. That's not a negative assessment of it. It's like the result is still good, and uh-huh. the game they're winning the games. Sure. So I'm fine with that. Uh, if if we're t- again, but if we're talking about you know Neil's whole thing with Noah Vonley is this guy is going to be a starter in three years, or sorry, no, it's not a starter. But like, <laughs> al- almost, almost well, an all-star fast. level, <laughs> an all star all-star level type of player. You know, like I think he's. I think he's got to be like a. A, a top guy in the league, kind of guy. Okay. Like in a while, so that's Neil's whole thing. He wants Noah Vonleh to be the guy.
0: He says that about a lot of players.
1: <laughs> yeah, but he also he also made Terry play him like forty games to start last year when he was bad. So,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, <laughs> uh, I think uh, I think it, I think it depends on who you're talking to. But um, in any case, uh, so it's that's 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 not supposed to be a knock on Vonleh at all. That being said personally if i'm looking at him you know I, I don't know what the blazers specifically want but what i would like for him is um to use his physical tools on defense in a more sound way i want him to be uh less jumpy on his feet i want him to move his arms less i want him to i want him to make the you know it took it took myers leonard three years to be to not jump at stuff to not close his arms down to not cross his arms um And, you know, we saw last year, Myers Leonard, before his injury, finally started, like, contesting where he used verticality and fade back with a player. Now, that doesn't mean, I mean, I don't know if his foul rating went down or not, but the point is, like, you you could see the training over time with Myers Leonard, with those things. So Noah Vonley, who is, uh, you know, a better, more solid player, in terms of just straight up being hard to move in the post, if he could add those things to his game, I think he would be better. And and he kind of has that same kind of jitteriness to him, you know? He can get a little little happy feed, he, may, he doesn't know where to pass it sometimes, you can see like a little moment of panic because he he wants to make the right um, the right decision. So I think that's and that is, as we've seen with Myers, I think is just like so hard to coach out of a player. It's so hard to coach out of a player. So individually by the end of the game, I'd like to see him um, be a little less, uh, a little more grounded on defense. Let's call it that.
0: Okay. But yeah, I like, like, like you said with his, his body is just, you know, to be able to set that, <laughs> set him in the paint and have people move around him and hopefully he'll get to a point where he creates gravity the you know he pulls people in the same way that uh that Nurkic does and what what's been interesting now we've learned recently that um Myers has been playing through Um, a lot of pain and that's why he hasn't had a lot of time out on the floor we've got ed davis out with a shoulder injury and so as a result we've had um several games lately where i have noticed we've had vonley and they're playing center (laughs) playing just straight up backup center um you think this is just a temporary thing while our uh, centers heal or do you think that it's a um it's a a a way that vonley could go
1: I don't know. I mean, I think again, like I think eventually they'd like, you know, by the end of a contract, they'd like Noah to be the full time starting power forward with no, no ifs, ands or buts. But I don't know if that's going to happen. So it, it certainly is. I mean, he's played some time there, obviously, before. So I, it's not like it's not like out of the out of the question. I, I don't know if that's if they they're like, oh, we're we're jonesing to make him our, our second guy to just to like get a minutes. I'm I don't know, it's possible to getting minutes. I mean, you know, his, his rookie season in Charlotte, he played the majority of his time at center, actually. Um, and this year he's played, you know, a quarter of his time at center. So, uh, you know, I don't know. I don't, I don't know if it's a goal.
0: It's a lineup I've noticed lately, especially because I was wondering why Myers wasn't playing. And then uh, to learn that, I was like, oh, okay." And it's it's funny because it's a lineup where you're like, oh, are we playing small ball now? And then is this (laughs) is this working? And sometimes it like, you know, for minutes at a time, it's like, oh, this is kind of exciting. That's when I mean, he was making his shots. But there's other times where you're like, "Mm, maybe it's time to bring the starters back in. Um, Terry's,
1: Terry's definitely in that mode where he has to. Is this where is this, I think I, that's come up again? It's like, is this, is this a lineup they're going to use now? And it's like, it's a lineup. He, just throw it at the wall and see if it sticks. That's where Terry is right now.
0: Yeah, so. I think this is a fun time of year because of that. Uh, I, I, I enjoy that. Where um, I don't
1: know that he would call it that.
0: That he wouldn't call it, what, fun?
1: I don't know that he would call it fun, but yeah,
0: yeah, <laughs> it is what it is, right? <laughs> when you're a Blazer fan, you gotta find. Sometimes you have to find um, find the joy in the little things. Let's just say, uh, I want to ask you one more thing about uh, the the current, um, uh, you know, the the recent play of the Blazers, and that is, we're trying to incorporate is watching them incorporating Evan Turner back in the lineup. In in my my eyes, it looks like it's been a little rough. Trying to uh, uh, get him back in there. What are your thoughts on that?
1: Uh, well, I think obviously he's had some issues. That's a, a constant topic of conversation on the broadcast. Is he's had some issues with his hand brace? He's swapped it what three times now. Yeah. Um, which is you know I, I can't imagine trying to play with a hand brace. It would.
0: Yeah. Be Especially so in your annoying. shooting hand. I mean, I just I can't even imagine doing that.
1: <laughs> well, I mean, if it, it's his dominant hand, so like you know, for Evan Turner, it's like his whole thing. I mean, he's not a good shooter. So, uh, yeah, so you're making his shot worse, which it has, but also it makes him a less effective passer and a less effective dribbler. Two of the main things that he's, you know, he is the relief for Damian and CJ, so he's not as good at those things. He's not as confident where he can take the ball. Um, you know, like, he's not on a string anymore, then that makes it a lot harder. You know, he's, in four games back, he's shot 27% from the field. He only has a 1.3 assists a game. Um, not that great. So, yeah, it, it looked rough. I think that... Um, you know, Evan Turner, for as much as you had been reintegrated into that uh offense before, that offense is now different with Nurkic playing instead of Plumley. So and he still has this weird hand brace on. So I don't I don't know what to expect where it goes. I'm not seeing it as a uh huge hindrance at the okay. moment. So I'm I'm not I'm not worried about it. I mean the Blazers are still winning. So I, if I was a Blazers fan, I wouldn't be worried about them um, you know, like <laughs> As good as Denver's been, like it's it's still a chase for the end end of the um to the end of the season. So it might, it might it might get there. It might be fun.
0: So what do you think? Speaking of Denver, what do you think is gonna be the key, like, to the Blazers uh, winning the game on Tuesday? Because that is looking more and more important all the time. It's gonna be a fantastic game. Hopefully, um, yeah. what what's gonna be the like? What are gonna be the storylines? What's gonna be the key to the Blazers walking away with the win on that one?
1: I mean. <laughs> <laughs> Terry's been battling this his entire time in Portland, but transition defense is going to be key. If Denver is allowing you know teams they're they're allowing teams other than the Suns and the Lakers they're allowing uh, the most opponent points a game. I mean they're in in the Western Conference, so it's like it's not like they're um, you know rocking people on the defensive side of the floor. So the Blazers shouldn't have a problem there. It's more going to be about the Blazers um, making sure they're getting out, making sure they're stopping that attack. Uh, from Denver, which is again going to be, I think, um, that's a real question. That's a real question for the Blazers. So I think that they're they probably have their video crew working hard to figure out. Again, <laughs> it's game of inches. They're, they have their video crew working hard to figure out what they can do specifically, who they can target, and and who they can sort of coach up to say, "Hey, look, you know, this game, I really need a I mean, you, I really need you to be the the press breaker on this, or or whatever they're going to do with it."
0: I'm so worried about. Um, everything else besides the game of basketball taking over that game that like the emotions of Nurkic are, I mean, I, they're, they're <laughs> the players are professional. They're not gonna, you'd think they're, that's not going to happen, but all of the hype leading up to it in the, uh, in the fans, I think people are just going to be real curious about what that's going to be like with him facing his, um, you know, facing the team that he, you know, was so glad to leave. I just, oh, I'm so worried that that's going to take over and we're not going to see the quality basketball that it could be.
1: Yeah, those games do feel like at at times that they can, they either go one of two ways. It's either uh, some sort of revenge thing, like, Mm -hmm. um, you know, IT against the Suns or something, or it ends up being just this disaster where they score like eight points and go, you know, three of 12 from the field or something. So,
0: yeah, hard to know. Hard to know what it's going to be like. That. Well, I want to pivot and uh, talk about something else. Uh, to unless you have anything else you want to add about what you've seen about the Blazers lately.
1: No, I think. Uh, I, well, I think I said this a while back on, on my own podcast or or something. I don't remember. Some, You're somewhere.
0: on a lot of podcasts.
1: I'm on too many. Let's I was, be honest. I was um, listening
0: to between uh, between me and you. Is that is that the yep. one?
1: Yeah, that's what I have with my buddy in Portland.
0: I loved your discussion about analytics the other day, but we're not going to get into that. So we don't have oh, time.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say that uh, I think as somebody, I feel like you know, I, I essentially, I cover the team for Twitter. So that's sort of how I would put it. Um, <laughs> and so I, I ended up having to watch every single game, whether I like it or not, I feel like with the Blazers. And um, man, it was a drag. So I'm, I'm happy for Blazers fans that their team, whether or not they make the, the playoffs or not, has, is going to be fun for the last you know twenty games of the year. Mm-hmm. So good for you guys.
0: Yeah, December, January, that was pretty rough, but we stuck with it. We're gonna get some rewards at the end.
1: <laughs> Hopefully.
0: The, uh, what do you, so? Do you think like uh, one to hundred? What are the chances that Blazers are gonna make the playoffs? Just your best guess.
1: Not gonna like it.
0: I don't care. <laughs> I f- I'm I'm am I'm fine either way. Like hundred
1: hundred is the most. If hundred is the most, I'm gonna say. 40 or 38, say
0: 38, 38% that they will uh, make it to the playoffs.
1: 50-50 would be if they were within a half game of the mm-hmm. Nuggets or something, and so that, that switch can happen in a night, but they're a game and a half out right yeah, now. And it's hard. Putting some, it's, it's hard, and that, that's the problem. I said this I said this back at the All-Star break, but for, say, the Spurs to catch the Warriors, or, I mean, I can't believe the Celtics are only a game back of Cleveland, but <laughs> um, for... For elite teams, because elite teams don't lose many games, it's hard to make up a game and a half or two games from players. It's also hard to make up a game and a half when you lose the majority of your games like the Nuggets and the Blazers. So it's because it's hard to predict and it's also hard to make up that ground because you'd have to go on a, a streak that would be completely abnormal for your your season, you know, winning percentage. So yeah, it's yeah, it's gonna be weird to be a chase for sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I think it, I I like the fact that it makes it exciting. I personally am okay either way. Um, you know, I, I love more basketball, but I also understand the um benefits of not going in and getting um you know pounded on or whatever. I either way, I'm I'm yeah. happy with it. So, so my final uh, th- stuff that I wanted to talk to you about, um, talk to you about is I've mentioned how much I enjoy your uh, Dane Not Dan videos. And one of the things I really like about them is because you have these two series, you have the playbook and you have the glossary. And with the playbook, you break down like specific plays like this is what horns is, you know, this is ice, you know, things that people who talk about basketball a lot drop in conversation all the time. But maybe people like me who are kind of late coming to the, you know, actual game portion of it, (laughs) like Mm. I never knew what those terms really meant. And so you lay them out very clearly in your videos. And I really like that. And then the glossary, again, you go through a lot of terms that people just toss around all the time, like your defensive glossary was like super useful. Oh, thank you. So, um, I really like like the work that you do, and you do a lot of like breaking down, like here's how you know Yusuf Nurkic what he means to the Portland Trailblazers, or um, so. But my question is, when when you are approaching, like getting ready to make a video or write an article about a team or a player, with so much data out there, um, so much to take in, how do you what what advice do you have for someone to um, how to approach analysis when you're just, you know, when you're a beginner, when you're not someone who's seasoned in this and hasn't done this for a really long time.
1: It's, it's definitely hard. You're right, because there's so much data out there. It's hard to figure out what's signal and what's noise. And in fact, obviously, there are whole teams of people and there are conferences held so that for, for you know, mathematicians and analytics folks to go to in order to try to figure out what is signal and what is noise in the data. And, of course, they don't always agree. And so that's sort of the problem. So that's why I think is is why it's fun to look into it, and it's fun to watch, um, and it's fun to use that data. But it's also pliable, and it could be used, and it could also be, you know, you could use it one of two ways, or somebody could come at you with an argument against you using different data. So I use it as a jumping-off point to look for... Um, Indicators that something might be happening. So, let's say I'm I am trying to look at. I try to keep it simple from that perspective because personally, I think that the uh, one I'm not you know I don't know how to model anything. I'm not a I'm not a mathematician. So I stay away from using that to make any uh, broad assessments. I I typically think that it's easier to go from a team that you're watching, take a question. Okay. Look at the right analytics for that question, and then and then watch video from there. Now that's also the process about how I scout and create videos, and that's pretty in depth. So you could only you could do one or two of those things. So for example, if I wanted to know or when I wanted to know things for the Nurkic video, I thought he certainly is seemed to be uh, passing really well for this team, and I didn't watch a lot of Nurkic in Denver. Let's take a look and see how much better he is at passing. Or if he is better at passing at all. I don't know. So then I just hopped onto basketballreference.com, scrolled down, went to the advanced section, and looked at his assist percentage, which you know by definition is the estimate of the percentage of teammate field goals a player assisted on while he was on the floor. So you can say he assisted on, you know, if he assisted on 50% of them, that's half, <laughs> half field goals. It's crazy. So, I looked at it, and then I just I just calculated it and looked at it as a simple trend. Okay, here's what it was last year. Here's what it is this year. Here's what here's what it was this year in Denver versus here's what it is this year in Portland. And I, I was just looking at one single t- statistic because the percentage usually the advanced ones are the ones I like the most because they tell me about. Um, I don't don't look at tot- if you if they if listeners don't know don't look at totals. Nobody cares. I mean, it's interesting from a perspective of. Oh, he is a 20 point per game scorer. That's fine. That doesn't tell you if he's a good scorer or not. It tells you he's scoring 20 points a game. Oh,
0: interesting. Okay. um, You look at how he's getting those points?
1: I look at how he's getting those points with the typically I like to look at per 100 possession statistics. Okay. That's just that takes that sort of helps you figure out um, the difference between scoring in a game and and pace. So, because obviously if you're scoring 30 points a game, but your team runs 150 possessions a, a, a game, which would be insane. Um, that would be like, okay, well, of course you're scoring 30 points a game. Like your team, your team is like the seven second or less sons. Like you score all the time. Mm-hmm. Of course you have 30 points a game. So you can take pace out of that and figure out what's your average amount of points per 100 possessions and then figure out, okay, we well, are actually this amount of score. Typically teams or people go up in scoring, but um, So I typically look at the per 100 possession statistics for um, your basic stat totals, so like assists, steals, blocks, turnovers, personal fouls, and points, rebounds. Then I look at to figure out whether how they're being efficient or not. Then I look at the advanced statistics, so you know their rebounding percentage, their turnover percentage, their usage rate, uh, those types of things. So that's typically my process. I don't. I use those as uh, markers, and then to get more advanced, if you wanted to, you could watch video of those things so like um you can go on to nba.com and like use some filters and like watch all of the players field goals from a certain game or from a certain area of the floor and then then you can just you know they're 15 seconds long
0: yeah th- and that's when you really go down a rabbit hole
1: <laughs> well you know and like Nurkic only had 37 made field goals when i did that video for the blazers okay. so it wasn't that hard to watch 37 clips at 15 seconds a piece yeah and figure out where he's shooting, where he's bad at shooting, by just both my eyes. So that's a whole other thing. If you wanted to see how a player is doing, go on to BasketballReference.com. Look at the Pro100 possession statistics. Look at the advanced statistics. Uh, there's all kinds of details on there. That there's a glossary, so it tells you what they are and how they're interpreted and how they're created and stuff. Do you, If you if you wanted to, you could check out some advanced analytics blogs, but that may be a little in depth.
0: Well, do you then? Do you compare them to? other like players in the league because that's one of the things that I always want to do is like people will come at me with like well you know he's doing you know this at 20% and I'm like okay so if he's doing it at 20% like what are two other players in the league who are you know in the same position doing I mean do you ever do that kind of a comparison too
1: sure when I did that for I had that a little bit at the end of that Nurkic video is that I talked about him versus Plumlee specifically to take a to mm-hmm say that it's possible that he continues this trend or gets even better because it's not like Plumlee was a great passer when he came to Portland. Here's what his, mm-hmm. um, you know, percentage... Because things like assist percentage doesn't change based off the minutes that you play. It's based off of the minutes that you're on the floor. Mm-hmm. So unless you're a complete garbage time, therefore, you know, like Pat Connaughton's advanced statistics do don't really mean that much because you're always playing in the last minute of a game. And it doesn't really matter. But if you're playing some, you know... Some modicum of minutes, like Mason Plumley during his time in Brooklyn, you can say, okay, well, this is generally sort of the player that he was. Let's take a look at it. And so you say, okay, his 8% uh, you know, assist percentage makes sense. Uh-huh. So versus when he left, it was 24%. You're like, oh, holy crap. That's like, he's way better. He's way better. So, I, so then I could use that to look at it and compare that to Nurkic. Now, I don't really do a lot of, Direct argumentation of like where you where you're talking about if you would compare the players, that'd be sort of people argue who's better at whatever. I, I don't really do a lot of that, but you could you could try to use that. That's that gets a little messy. And again, like I feel like a lot of a lot of <laughs> people knock on analytics folks for this. Analytics folks don't do this. Kids who are writers who then use analytics and who are new at it do this, and that's they use analytics as a means to say oh, actually, Jokic is better than DeAndre Jordan. It's like, Mm -hmm. well, okay, what about team context? I mean, what about the fact that DeAndre Jordan plays with Chris Paul? What about all these other things? You know, it's like, come on, give me a break. Just, oh, here's a better block percentage. Who cares? You know, it's like- Well,
0: like you say, though, context is, you know, context is really important, and there's so many variables that it's, and Mm -hmm. with so much data available, it's really hard to know where to stop. (laughs) Right, which which is why why
1: I typically just go after one player and try to educate myself about, a theme of that player, like I did an Evan Turner video early in the season, and basically it was like, you know, that video was all about minutia. It was talking about he is dribble when he when he takes a step inside the free throw line to shoot a shot, he's like fifteen percent worse at making a shot. It's terrible. He should dribble to the free throw line and shoot it, or to the elbow and shoot it every time. He shouldn't ever go below the free throw line because he's not a, he's not good at drawing fouls. He's not a good finisher, and he's not good when he shoots a jumper at eight feet. But he's better when he shoots it at 11 feet, you know. So it's like, but I, in order to get that, I had to watch every single Evan Turner mid-range possession. I couldn't, I couldn't get that from the stats because those eight to 11 feet is in the same grouping of statistics on Basketball Reference or anywhere else. You can, it's not, it's not cut up by, you know, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 feet. It's cut up by 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 ranges. You know, it's like a, it's a five foot range. So you have to watch them.
0: So, my my final question about this is, um, how how do you we ta- we talked sort of like how you evaluate individual players? Do you have a different approach when you're looking at how a team is doing? Like for instance, last year we uh, Joe and I started covering and taking. Um, uh, keeping track of how the team was doing with the four factors. So, is that a useful? Do you find that as a useful way to uh, you know track how a team is doing, or do you have other ways that you, um, you know, suggest people look at if they're trying to evaluate uh, you know uh, what the team's performance is, if if they're you know growing or if they're stuck or if they're regressing? What are, what are some ways you look at that?
1: Well, four factors, obviously, you know, basketball Bible stuff at this point in time. So hard to get away from that. I think the hardest thing about analyzing a team, especially if you're not somebody who watches that team with any regularity, is finding those nuances. So, it, like, this season with the Blazers, I think it would definitely be possible to take a look at Portland, look at their team statistics, look at their four factors, then just go through their, like, scroll through their roster page and look and see if those, what like, their percentages are and say, oh, Alfredo Caminito is shooting four percent worse on threes this year. That's probably really important because, um, like, he takes a lot of them, and he's like he takes the the fourth most threes on the on the team. And uh, he he's a starting power forward and he plays a pivotal role. Now, would you know from just looking at that and not watching the team how? crushing that is for some of the possessions in which he doesn't take a three which he then dribbles the basketball in because he's afraid to take a three you learn a lot from have, watching
0: Aminu dribble <laughs> right
1: and then the blazers have a uh, essentially a waste of possession like they have uh, you know he puts up a shot that doesn't go in when he's closer or turns it over or it's a steal or something right no, you're not going to know that from the statistics. You can see maybe that he's a bad three-point shooter, but you're not going to know unless you watch the team or listen to somebody like me from that team say this is what happens when that happens. So I think it's it's hard to make those things, and it's even hard to scout those things on video, I think, for a whole team. It's, it's, it's easier to scout a player. Now, if you, if you had an idea, let's say you were a guy like me and you were uh, doing a team that, um, you want to do something on a team that, you didn't really watch all that much. Okay. Typically what you would do, I think, how I would attack it would be just that. You would look at everything, and you'd say, okay, you have to know a little bit about the team. Like You have to know that the three-point shot is, I mean, it's critical for every team in the NBA now, but it's like the Blazers would be the worst team in the NBA if they couldn't shoot the basketball at all. You know, like they, they, It's absolutely integral to their offense. So knowing that, you could go take a look and say, okay, there's a dip here, there's a dip here. That's that's really a, a huge issue. So then I would then I would chase the rabbit hole down a minu, and then my video wouldn't be about here's why the Blazers are doing bad. It would be about it would be asking the question, is Aminu's three point shooting hurting the Blazers? Or how much is Aminu's three point shooting hurting the Blazers this season? Okay. And that's what the video would be about. And that's what my anal- analysis would be about. So and I, I try not to come to before especially you know, the, I can't tell you how many times that I've mostly when I watch video that it comes back to me that, oh, something else comes up. I see I see something else happening on those possessions like, oh, like so, for example, what I did something on. I forget what it was, but essentially I came to a revelation that like part of Mason Plumley's issues on defense was that he was running into CJ and Damien when they were. Hmm. when the like when when a dribbler would snake the pick which means dribbling one direction then switching back and coming the other direction back towards the the big man who's playing low plumbly would try to step in and like stop him with a little jab he'd reach out real quick to try to like s- you know swat the ball and like have the dribbler slow down yeah but that's right when he would time it poorly and that's right when damien recid would try to be jutting back across to um recover on the snake so he'd, ba- he'd basically get in their way he'd, he'd screen his own man
0: okay so it, it- in some cases, it wasn't so much that they were doing a poor job; like the, the guards were doing a poor job of defending. Right. It was like they were trying to get to their place, but Mason Plumlee was already there.
1: Exactly. So, not that Damian and CJ are. So, the you know part of that video was like, it's not that I'm saying saying Damian and CJ are good pick and roll defenders, but part of it has to do with their teammates. Because I mean, defense is, and that is the the funny part of analytics in the NBA is that it's it's incredibly hard for uh, most analytics folks have not found a way yet to separate team. Uh, team defense from individual defensive statistics or individual defensive play it's really funny so obviously mason plumb is a huge part of that so yeah yeah so like a a lot of times you end up what when you watch video you're like oh here's another pattern that i found that's actually maybe maybe the video should be about that or maybe that's half of the video or like half the reason or 10 percent of the reason why these guys are bad at defense is because of this or something
0: so it sounds like what you're, uh, what you're saying is that even people who are very experienced in this find themselves traveling down other paths as they're trying to an- analyze one thing, other things come up that, that uh, bear looking at. So um, those of us who are just beginners at it are, are not alone. We're not the only ones who get distracted or um, find out other things in, in the course of trying to discover something else.
1: Yeah, and if you if you wanted to know something, if you were just a real ca- if you were a casual fan, but you wanted to start knowing a little bit more, I would do, I would start off with something you're interested in. So well, during the game, try to well, you don't have to write it down, but just try to log it in your brain. Like, okay, count how many times Damien goes left off the high pick and roll and right, mm-hmm. and then see what he does. So you, so you just go, oh, left made three, left made three, right drive, right foul. Left foul, like, and try to log that out. And then you can maybe use that information. Oh, huh. I've counted for th- three games. He goes left more often to shoot a three and right more often to draw a foul. Or I don't know. I'm mm-hmm. just making that up. Right. Honestly. But then you can jump into his advanced statistics and take a look at it and maybe be like, oh, okay, he's this is his free throw rate. Interesting. Okay. He, this is his, his three pointers. Then you can just watch, watch all the times he was fouled and watch all the times he shot a three pointer. Maybe maybe you get a little more out of it. So, but you can start by just saying finding something you're interested in and just sort of making a note of it during the game.
0: Yeah, that sounds that that sounds like great advice. Find something that you're interested in, make a note of it, see if you see a pattern, see if that pattern um, leads you to any questions, and then um, once you've got a question, then you can dive in and see what you can do about answering it. Pretty simplified yeah. version of it, but. <laughs> sounds good well i'm gonna go to let see who are we playing tonight They're playing the timberwolves tonight holy moses that's gonna be um an exciting game i'm hoping it's another really long team which was what um minnesota, uh, uh milwaukee was man those guys are long and yeah. uh minnesota has another um people with long arms and long legs and limbs just sticking out everywhere so I think I'll try to figure out what one thing I'm going to watch for because I, I like that advice. Uh, Dane, <laughs> thank you so much for chatting with me today. I really appreciate it. I learned a lot. And um, what can you tell folks, uh, again, where to find all of your different p- types of content?
1: Yeah, you can find me over at NBC Sports. That's uh, Pro Basketball Talk, NBCSports.com slash NBA. You can find me on YouTube. That's uh, YouTube.com slash Dane, D-A-N-E, not Dan. And, of course, on uh, Twitter, uh, at Dane Carbaugh, C-A-R-B-A-U-G-H.
0: And you can find the Blazers Edge podcast on Stitcher or iTunes or just hop on over to BlazersEdge.com, which also um, I know sometimes we post post your Blazer-related videos over there. Finally, go Blazers. (laughs)